Okay, I think we're going. All right, well, let's get it started then. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. We are back at it with some game recaps, some uh, some games that are taking place over the weekend, as, as we usually record them, uh, some games that have playoff implications. So we're going to start out, Stephen, with this Dallas Wings versus Washington Mystics game, the second consecutive game between these two teams that definitely did have playoff implications and was very important to the playoff race. Yeah, I let's do a little table setting coming into this game. Dallas was the seventh seed. They were eleven and fourteen coming into this one, coming off a, a huge comeback win against the Washington Mystics on Thursday, uh, a game that Elena Deladon did play for some of it before leaving due to an injury. And Washington coming into this one was just a game and a half behind them, and obviously that loss Thursday was a, a huge hit to their playoff odds. But you know they were still just a game back of the eighth seed. Uh, at 9-15, and 15, sitting in 10th place. So Washington has played uh, a couple fewer games than I think most of the other teams, like right in this range, you know, the the 7-10 to 10 range. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the bummer about this game is that both of these teams were without, you know, at the very least two of their three best players. For Washington, that is uh, Elena Deladon and Tina Charles. Um, both of those players, I think, are expected to return somewhat soon. Uh, Elena Deladon, I think, is day-to-day. Charles, um, as of a couple days ago, was expected to miss four or five games. And then for Dallas, no Alicia Gray dealing uh, with the concussion protocol, I believe. And then Satu Sabali with an Achilles injury that I don't think we've really gotten any kind of substantial update about, uh, believe it or not. But yeah, it was, you know, kind of a you know limiting in terms of the options that both of these teams had. And I think that led to particularly in the first quarter, uh, some very ugly basketball before things kind of picked up. Like, I guess you could say they were technically playing basketball, right? It was, uh, it was dreadful. It was, it was bad. And it kind of, it kind of carried over to the second quarter too, but that, that first quarter in, in particular was just really, really bad. I think the wings had like, what was it nine turnovers just in the first quarter and the mystics shot? What was it three for 14, two for 14? It was yeah. So Dallas, really Dallas, nine turnovers overall in the quarter, but they turned it over eight times on their first 11 possessions, <laughs> including uh, uh, three forced turnovers by Ariel Atkins, who you know had a, a tough offensive game, but it was uh, a, a great defensive quarter. And you know for the, the limited minutes that she played in this one, I thought she had a huge impact. But uh, yeah, it was a really, really tough start uh, for both teams. You know, the, the turnovers for Dallas and then for Washington, you know, they were getting up a lot of threes, but you know, as we talk about sometimes with the Liberty, I think are the the prime example of this. Like they weren't really value added threes. It was a lot of just kind of swing, swing, you know, not really driven by by deep ball penetration, just maybe like a couple steps inside the three point line and then swinging it out to someone else. There was like a, a pull up three by Atkins. Um, there was a, the miss three in the corner from Natasha Cloud that was just kind of swinging from the perimeter. There was another pull up three from cloud on like a DHO with Mariah Jefferson going under, you know, it, it was a lot of those type of threes, you know, Sydney Weiss getting a step or two inside the three point line before throwing like Maisha Hines Allen, a flaming bag with the shot clock expiring. So the first quarter for Washington was, you know, they, they just really struggled in terms of having kind of an offensive initiator and really like an engine to drive offense for their more dependent offensive players. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And uh, this is this is something I think has been uh, talked about in NBA circles more than the WNBA circles. But when you're missing your your extremely high usage player in Tina Charles, uh, 33.5% usage rating, which is absolutely massive coming in, 
it can be it can be difficult to establish you know any kind of cohesive offense because your your team is used to playing you know not only the uh, I think this lineup without Charles and Deladon it it, it kind of had a a lack of offensive creators anyway. But like, but going back to my original point that I was going to make, when, when you're lacking a very high usage player like that that you're used to playing with, it'd be tough to establish cohesive offense. And you're exactly right. Like they were taking threes, but they weren't good threes. I, 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 they weren't really moving the defense around. You know, it, it was it was a lot of uh, standing around, just as you said, lobbing the ball around the perimeter, kind of taking turns shooting the ball, and that resulted in some uh, very inefficient offense. Yeah, and you know Natasha Cloud really picked it up in the third quarter, but I thought early on Washington really, you know, the the initiating responsibility uh, was put in the hands of Ariel Atkins. You know, they ran Atkins, Heinz, Allen pick and roll uh, a couple times early, and you know with Atkins, you know she's a great player and and you know one of the best defensive players in the game, obviously, and a very good offensive player in her own right, but just not really that that initiator she's not going to generate offense for other players and when you are asking Atkins to be the one who's creating your offense it's going to just kind of lead to you know she had a couple of nice passes in this one and overall it was I think an abnormally bore shooting game you know 0 for 6 you know obviously you expect her to to be able to hit a couple of those pull-up jumpers but she had no shots in the paint in this game she was only one for two in the paint the first game earlier this week against uh, Dallas like that's kind of the offense that you should expect to get though with Ariel Atkins being that the offensive sort of initiator is is kind of pull up twos right she's not really going to drive all the way to the paint against her defender whether it is you know getting a little bit of extra space in the pick and roll you know, still you're kind of still expecting pull up jump shots um, or just expected to you know get by her defender and get all the way to the paint so uh, that that is sort of what really kind of played a large part of you know, not generating good looks. And then Heinz Allen also struggling offensively. You know, I thought she really settled for some jump shots. I think almost everything after her first contested look, I think it was like the first possession of the game, unable to finish over Allery. Like a lot of those first half looks were just uh, three-point shots that that were not great offensive looks, you know, not not wide open threes, just kind of settling a little bit. Uh, And I think Mike Tebow would agree because he actually brought Heinz Allen off the bench in the second half uh, in favor of, I believe it was Erica McCall. But yeah, um, and then you know for Dallas, you said how many turnovers on the first eleven possessions? They had eight turnovers on their first eleven possessions, and That's you know, crazy. yeah, some of them were just really, really rough ones. Um, you know, just kind of throwing the ball out of bounds, or the ones where Atkins kind of forced the action. You know, that, she's a great defender. What, what are you going to do, right? She she deflected that over the top pass from Arike. She when she was guarding Kayla Thornton, I think it was maybe the very next possession or a possession after that. She dug down on a Harris, uh, Izzy Harrison drive. She uh, Dallas is trying to run a DHO with uh, Arike and Bella Allery, and Atkins ends up throwing the ball off Allery's leg. I'm, I'm sure you remember that one as well. And then Dallas did not seem very engaged early on, despite ending the quarter with the lead. Not engaged early on, and I think you could argue that they weren't engaged for most of this game, particularly in transition defense, but uh, we can get to that later. Yeah, the, the first quarter was bad. The second quarter was a little better, but... Man, it just seemed like two teams that uh, that neither of which really had much of a rhythm on offense. What what, what did you see like in the second quarter? Did anything change in particular? Because the third quarter was the turning. The the big thing overall for Dallas was just they with with their players out. You know they are so 
heavily reliant offensively on pretty much three players. You know, Harrison in, in this game total, 13 shooting possessions. Arike had 16 shooting possessions. And Marina Mabry. And, and I thought, you know, overall, uh, things opened up when Mabry and Awak Queer came into the game. That's sort of when Dallas really found their, their rhythm offensively a little bit more. But Mabry had 16 shooting possessions. And then the rest of the team combined had 13. So they just... You know, without Sabley and without Gray, they, they kind of just don't have the horses offensively. Um, but, you know, with Dallas starting in that kind of three, I mean, I don't want to call Thornton a big, but that sort of three more big-ish lineup with Allery, Harrison, and Thornton, things are, things are really tight. And then, you know, they bring in kind of the three-guard lineup with Mabry in there and then a walk for for Allery. And that that's when I sort of thought things opened up a little bit more for them because you have a little bit more scoring from Mabry. She, she I thought, looked pretty good at, at times in this one and, and pretty rough in, in other. She had a nice moment sort of uh, snaking the pick and roll and getting, gosh, who was it? Maybe Plaisance on, on her back uh, for a nice lefty finish where I think she was expecting some contact. But, you know, Mabry, 13 points in the first half on eight shooting possessions, kind of cooled down a little bit in the second half. But that was sort of, to me, the turning point offensively for Dallas where they were able to, you know, get into at least some kind of, some kind of rhythm uh, in that first half. Let's, let's, let's talk about those, those minutes distributions and those rotations for a second, because this has been a recurring theme for the wings throughout the entire season. Um, Charlie Collier, number one overall draft pick did not play DNPCD. And this is the second consecutive game in which a queer, as you mentioned, has gotten significant minutes. Did you see anything from queer? Cause I personally, I think she looked, kind of lost out there at least as far as making decisions with the basketball but I think that's to be expected considering I mean one she's a really young player and two she hasn't really had a consistent role heading into this or heading into this game so I, I don't know what do you think about that yeah I mean she I thought she played better uh Thursday in in their game than she did tonight she was a little bit more involved in the offense she was able to force a little bit more havoc you know with her length forcing turnovers on Thursday today you know, it was a little bit of a sort of a, a step back, I think, in terms of, you know, how she was able to be productive. But even still, you know, I thought they they definitely put more of an emphasis on, on her, you know, guarding more up top. You know, she started the second quarter guarding Natasha Cloud. It was kind of like a, you know, a half zone look where she was she was just up top for a couple possessions. It was Cloud and then it was Zealous that Queer had the assignment on uh, on the wing. But yeah, it was, it was definitely a little bit of a defensively it's it's pretty shaky right she gets lost off the ball I think a lot uh, and maybe that's why they kind of had her up top rather than you know along with her rebounding struggles rather than down you know maybe uh, guarding one of the forwards or something like that so she couldn't get beat back door like she did a couple times Thursday but I mean you know she she had a, an instance where she just wasn't able to finish over I think it was Heinz Allen just playing positional defense on a pick and roll she wasn't able to really I think she maybe got to the free throw line once in this game and that was really her only offensive impact whereas in in the first game you know she had a nice pass finding a backdoor cutter she you know had that nice turnaround jump shot uh and a couple other moments where she i think she had four or five baskets in the first game so you know it it makes sense though that she is the one getting the minutes rather than collier for kind of what dallas does and doesn't have available right they have two centers healthy in harrison and allery and they are missing two forwards in sabali and gray so uh, they they need that depth that a walk brings a little bit more than what Collier brings, and you know I think if everybody was healthy, neither of them would be playing. Yeah, which is obviously not an ideal scenario for the players who just drafted number one and number two overall. But we, we can talk about that later. Um, what what else? I mean, Allery 
would you think the foul trouble was affecting her? Because I, I didn't think she played that great of a defensive game. Um, I, I'm kind of used to her being uh, hesitant on offense. She took one shot. That's that's clearly her role on this team. But I, I'm used to her affecting the game on defense more than she did today. Yeah, but you know that one shot. I think it was that that transition basket where I think a lot of players, her size with her offensive role catching that ball the way she did with the, an opposing guard right in front of her. Uh, you know, I think a lot of players turn that ball over and, and Allery hasn't been very great uh, as an offensive player in the league so far. And, you know, this I think was, you know, statistically Dal- uh, yeah, Dallas was pretty good with Allery in the game. I think they gave up like a 70 defensive rating or something, but I they agree with you. Yeah, they usually are. But And I thought she was better than Harrison defensively in this one, but I agree with you that there were just more moments in this game where Allery was not a good defensive player. You know, that one uh, moment late in the game where she was just kind of really bad defending Maisha Hines-Allen in space, just a little bit of a matador defense that led to the uh, McCall dump off late in the game that that was kind of a big factor in them sealing it. But yeah, she she did not have the impact I thought she usually has defensively, despite the numbers being pretty strong. All right, so do you want to kind of move on to the third quarter here? Because that's where things really shifted in the Mystics' favor. Yeah, so going into the, the second half, it was, um, I mean, Washington had, what, 19 points? I think, yeah, it was 35-19 Dallas going into the second half. Per uh, Kareem Copeland, it was the fewest points Washington had scored in the first half all season. Uh, and Natasha Cloud was 0 for 5. Maisha Hines-Allen, you said, didn't even start the second half. She was 1 for 6 in the first half, and Atkins was 0 for 4. Uh, and Washington came out starting the second half with Erica McCall and, and Teresa Plaisance, who, you know, we haven't mentioned Plaisance yet, but she had a pretty decent first half, scoring 11 points on, on pretty efficient shooting. So, but this is where Natasha Cloud really, really got started. Um, she, she hit a nice mid-range elbow to sort of, start start her own personal run she had hit i think you know three threes in this quarter and one thing that i was sort of looking for coming into this quarter was you know they were so bad offensively like maybe they would go with a little bit more offensive look and and uh, megan gustafson checked into the game for the first time in the third quarter and i thought gave this team a nice offensive jolt you know even though she only had six points she's just much more of a credible threat as an offensive player than erica mccall and can punish switches much better than like a Teresa plaisance who uh you know got kind of stonewalled by Arike a couple times in the post yeah plaisance if, if, if she's just going to be floating around at the three-point line and uh which is what you expect from her but yeah no this is this is awesome from from natasha cloud i feel like this third quarter it really uh it really um, showed how good of a feel for the game Natasha Cloud has because it just looked like a concerted effort from her to take over this game and get something going. Because as I said before, this Mystics team is without a lot of actual shot creation right now. And Cloud, I think, is one of their few players who can actually get to the basket off the dribble. But she, you know, she was she did a really good job at, at looking for who the defense was giving her, the long jumpers. You know, they went in. You know, maybe it's not a shot you love Natasha Cloud to be taking in other circumstances. It just looked like she knew that the team needed to have something to take over. She had that nice drive and dump down to, I think it was Gustin, right? Where I, I pointed out, a lot of other guards would have just taken the heat like three. Yeah, she had hit, I think, three threes at that point in the 
the quarter um and she you know had a decent open look they they went under the screen i think it was mariah jefferson went under that screen and you know she definitely could have just kind of taken that heat check three but you know she she attacked what space she was given and got all the way to the rim and made the defense react and she was able to dump it off to megan gustafson uh for a nice layup and and you know not slow down the momentum by taking a bad shot and you know natasha cloud uh, like you were saying, she, she's been having a little bit of a slower shooting game. You know, she had her best season in 2019 shooting, obviously with all that great offensive around her. And it, it's been a little bit more of early season cloud this year from behind the arc, but she, she took over when they needed it. And, you know, I think this was something that I thought, um, a reason why I think Allery maybe struggled a little bit more than usual is that cloud was able to get by her uh, a few times in pick and roll and just get her shoulder into Allery and get to the free throw line you know, on what I thought were, were not bad calls at all. It's just Cloud, you know, getting Allery out of legal guarding position and, and getting herself to the free throw line. Um, and she she had it rolling, you know, she she was great in this one. And, you know, the engine of the turnaround without a doubt. So I guess we should talk about the night uh, Arike Agumbawale had, obviously, you know, the highest profile player in this game for sure. Um, and it was a very efficient offensive night, right? 25 points on 16 shooting possessions, uh, a pretty quiet first half with just uh, just three shooting possessions. But, you know, she was able to get to the line in the second half to kind of get herself going. Uh, was, was your redacted tweet about Arike Agumbawale, Eric? Uh, I will neither confirm nor deny, but I will tell you that she did draw several fouls from shooting jump shots. Um, and that's, she does that better than just about anybody not named Diana Tirazi. Whether or not you can say those calls are legitimate is up to you. Um, but not not hating. Um, she really had it going. She was playing typical Urike Agunbawale basketball, making really difficult shots, dribbling the air out of the basketball. But, I mean, if, if they go in, that's that's what looks pretty, right? Um, and she was part of this, this wing's, you know, she she had a plus five for the game. Um, I thought she was absolutely dreadful defensively, but you know they don't pair to play defense, right? Yeah, it was rough, and I mean she she really lived on the jump shot in this one. I think she had one shot in the paint in the entire game, which is not not what you want from your uh, no, not good. lead initiator offensively. And then you know she was able to make her her jump shots pretty well, but she had. 50% of her shots from beyond the arc, which in itself, I think, you know, you'll, you'll definitely take, but then also five, two point jumpers outside of the paint. So, you know, you can say it's uh settling for bad shots. You can say she's a bad shot maker, but um, you know, she was able to kind of pull her efficiency uh, all together. But, you know, I do think it was a rough one defensively for Arike, you know, whether, uh, you know, hitting that tough shot late uh, with the shot clock, expiring and then just kind of posing while Maisha Hines Allen yeah. <laughs> who was defending her ran out and, and made an open uh made a transition layup off a of make uh I think she went over to to Weiss one time or maybe it was Mitchell when uh when Awak was already there and, and left Plaisance right wide open you know Harrison and Enrique both kind of ran in the opposite direction of, of Plaisance you know leading to an easy step in for that one uh, so, you know, it was just kind of overall a, a very Arike Gumbawale game where, where she, you know, was good offensively for sure. You, you can't deny that she had an effective offensive game, but she, it's sort of this year's 2020 Skylar Diggins-Smith where you look and, and you're just like, how is the defense on off numbers like this bad? It, it seems improbable that she, a guard could have such an effect on a defense, but, you know, uh, 
unlike Skylar Diggins Smith, who who plays good pressure defense, I think you know the eye test the eye test does match it a little bit more with Arike. Yeah, it's I don't I don't want to harp on this too much, but it's it's pretty glaring when when you look at this and when you look at so many possessions that are either just taken off or you know I, and I'm, I don't want to exclusively blame Arike for this because it does seem like the Wings have trouble communicating defensively. But, you know, like when, when you've got something where Teresa Plaisance is just left wide open at the top of the key, what else are you expecting Teresa Plaisance to do? Like that's that's a pretty simple defensive assignment. That's what she's out there to do is to shoot threes. She's not going to drive to the hoop on you. So it's, yeah, it, it's, it's something that, that I feel, and I said this on Twitter, it's, it's something you got to get patched up and it starts with your leader or your, your best player, your go-to player, however you want to assign Enrique. Because d- defensive habits like that are things that can kind of spread throughout your team. And aside from Kayla Thornton and, you know, I don't know, maybe Alicia Gray, you don't really have many Wings players who you could call, you know, defensive stoppers or, or people who will go out there and, and you know will, will work to get a stop, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, Jefferson is built like that. Allery has definitely come around defensively. Um, Harris, I could I could see turning into a decent defender, but you know what I mean. Sure, but I mean, at, right now she's she's no better than average, right? Uh, she she can get there, I, I think, and they have a lot of players who can get there, but uh, I don't think they really have, you know, a five player lineup you feel good about throwing out there to kind of get stops and still be able to like generate decent right, offense. Right, right. I think. So a couple other things I, I wanted to hit on, I guess, you know, neither of these teams really have any sort of competent rim protection, and it's sort of surprising that. The offense was as bad as it was in this one, you know, 96.2 and 93.8 offensive ratings, uh, respectively, in this one for for two defenses that are pretty much tied for being bottom four. I've got Um, a reason. Go ahead. I've got a reason. The Wings turned the ball over 23 times. Yeah, that's not great. That's uh, a lot. And and Washington, you know, 23% of their shooting possessions came from the line. Uh, and I thought a lot of that was just, you know, Dallas's pick and roll defense. And and Izzy Harrison, you know, she had a, a couple of nice games against Washington in this series. You know, she, she had pretty plus efficiency, I think, in the two games total, you know, 39 points on, on 29 shooting possessions uh, and another effective one tonight. And, and she was one of Dallas's best offensive players, but, you know, she's just not a starting caliber defensive center, uh, I think. And, you know, whether it's for Dallas, Thornton is, is a good defensive player, but doesn't really offer any rim protection. Izzy Harrison is going to just get scored over at the rim. And then for Washington, like McCall, uh, Teresa Plaisance, like those players are not effective rim protectors. So, but for Dallas specifically, like this team is 11th in pick and roll defense. And I think we saw why tonight, like Heinz Allen's best half court moments, I thought were as a roller able to kind of get downhill and not have to create too much for herself. Yeah, I, I thought that was really how Heinz Allen was able to get her night turned around a little bit was, uh, you know, being a roller, getting out in transition, attacking in semi-transition. And so much of her misses in in the early part of the game were just kind of spot up threes. And, and she's been a very effective three-point shooter this season for sure. But her shot diet, you know, all five of her makes in the second half were at the rim. And and, uh, and I think Dallas's, you know, rim protection has a lot to do with that. Looked like a coaching adjustment to me. You know, they, they saw they're getting stagnant. So they wanted to get their, their really strong bull uh, in the front court kind of rolling to the hoop. Because, you know, nobody on Dallas is, is going to be stopping Maisha Hensel and rolling to the hoop. She's, she's, she's too quick. She's too explosive. She's, she's too strong. But, yeah, you know, and this game, this is, by the way, I wanted to say this. This is the first fourth quarter that the Mystics, 
heading into this game, okay, the Mystics, you know, they, they've lost five of six, so I would say this is a must-win game for them. Um, two of those losses that came to the Las Vegas Aces featured some pretty impressive blown leads. In their past six games before this one, the Mystics had a fourth-quarter net rating of negative 39.5. Holy smokes. So that's bad. That's very bad. So the fourth quarter performance was, um, I don't know, if you're a Mystics fan, I think this was a, a little reassuring. I, I don't know how much you can really glean from this game because the offense is just so bad on both ends. But they survived the Arike storm, or, or rather they, uh, at least on offense, and they, they took advantage of, of Arike on the other end. And um, Oh, before we kind of wrap up on this game, you know, just a quick shout out to Shavante Zealous, who I thought brought some some physicality playing against Izzy Harrison that the other Washington options were just not really able to bring to that matchup, which is crazy because she's like the undersized, you know, she's essentially playing the four on this team and and for her to guard Izzy Harrison. But she was part of two straight turnovers by Harrison early in that fourth quarter as Washington was sort of making that kind of final push between uh, or from like being down all game to actually taking the lead. And, you know, Zealous is not a player I really would have believed to still be a, a WNBA rotation caliber player at this point, but she, you know, at this point in her career, I should say, but she came up big for them in this game. You know, she also hit that three right before those two turnovers that she forced on Harrison. So, you know, she, she only played in the second half, had that, you know, six or seven minute stint, but she was great in those minutes. Pretty limited role as, as I think you would expect from her, but you know, Mike Tebow is not a coach who's afraid to go deep into his bench. And it's kind of a stark contrast between he and, and Vicki Johnson in this one, you know, Whereas as VJ is is straight up not playing two rookies, two two uh, first round draft picks, Mike Tebow he's he's he was trying all sorts of different stuff. Which, I, I mean, you you've got your two star players out, so that's that's understandable. But do you think there's anything to really be drawn from this game, or was it just a totally anomalously bad offensive performance? Well, I'm yeah, it's hard to say because both of these players, I mean, both of these teams are missing you know key key contributors, and you know. Gray and Sabley are not Deladon or Charles level players, but they are extremely important uh, pieces to this Dallas team. Um, but I mean, I guess, you know, the the real, I guess, lasting impact of this game is just sort of, um, you know, what effect it has on the playoff race. But this this is kind of like an anomalous one just in terms of, you know, the huge turnover numbers early on, um, you know, the I, I guess, you know, the biggest takeaway for me, not so much in this specific game, but just kind of as this late Washington season has rolled on is just that like, I, I guess it's kind of surprising that the bloom hasn't come off the rose a little bit more for Maisha Hines-Allen, who's like not really having that great of a season. And, you know, this is a pretty limited Washington roster that she's playing around, but I, I think you would have... Yeah, uh, that's, that's true. And I think you would have just had higher expectations for what she was able to sort of bring in, in terms of her own individual efficiency. And, you know, she's still not a great defensive player you know i mentioned how there's no rim protectors in this game you know she she plays a big position and she's uh not really a deterrent at the rim at, at in any meaningful way she's okay as a switch defender um but you know the the consensus i feel is still very very high on maisha heinz allen yeah interesting free agency period coming up uh concerning her and another player who i will not mention but you could probably guess um so all right to sum things up here, Wings now 11-15, and 15, Mystics 10-15, and 15, so a half game back. 
things are getting pretty tightly contested down there in the in the bottom half of the standings. Wings seventh seed, Mystics ninth seed. What do you think, Stephen? Do, do the Mystics do the Mystics have enough gas to kind of finish this out? Because I don't know if if Charles is going to be missing more. Ga- there aren't many games left, dude. Like that's true. I think you know if if we were to take the four to five game projection that Charles was supposed to miss at the time it was announced, she'll return for the final four games. And from what I remember, it was a a pretty friendly schedule. Um, but it's going to be tough, you know, the games in between now and then. I I guess if I had to guess, I would say these are the two teams that will probably make those final two spots. You know, L.A., they have maybe the, the easiest schedule from what I remember, um, even though they have, you know, a, a couple of tough ones coming up against playoff teams. But uh, they at least have one winnable game in, in their future uh, against um, Indiana on Tuesday. You know, New York, I think, is just out of gas uh, in terms of, you know, they, they just don't have the depth. What comes out, who I think has been, you know, at worst, their second best player for the duration of the season or their third best player now that Howard's been back. So I, I think it'll be these two teams getting in seven and eight. And, you know, hopefully at that point, they'll have some of these these key players that we've been talking about, Deladon, Charles, Gray, and, and Savoli, at least some of those players returning to make an impact uh, for these teams. That's interesting you say that because I feel like for for each one of these teams, New York New York included, there are bigger reasons against them making the playoffs than there are for them making the playoffs. But somebody's got to make it, so uh, we'll see what kind of implications this game ends up having on the playoffs. And uh, yeah, so that'll do it for this game. All right, moving on now. Uh, second game we wanted to talk about was uh, Sunday night's game between the Chicago Sky and the Seattle Storm. Second consecutive game once again between these two teams after a nail-biting um, Sky victory over the Storm uh, previously. Sky came in, and uh, they shot the lights out, Stephen. I, I really don't have any other words for that kind of performance. Uh, yeah, really big win for this guy. 107 to 75. Yeah, it was a beatdown. There's there's no other way to put it. Uh, Chicago was awesome. It looked like it was going to be a pretty close game early on. You know, Chicago jumped out to uh, a first quarter lead but really Seattle was never really able to find their footing uh, I thought pretty much you know some of their 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 important players had decent uh, box score nights you know Sue Bird 8 and 7 um, Stewart 19 on, on 17 shooting possessions but it really didn't feel like they were as impactful as you could typically expect from them um, whereas I felt like for Chicago you know Candace Parker was the best player on the floor tonight. Yeah, Candace was excellent. And the the thing about this game that stood out to me, well, I mean, is is that not a lot stood out? Is it everyone was on everyone on the sky pretty much was had a good game, almost everyone. Uh, like it, it's hard for me to pick out specifics for them because I mean they shot fifteen to twenty two from three point range. Uh, they only had nine turnovers, out rebounded Seattle thirty six to twenty two. Had six players score in double figures. So it was just such a well-rounded team effort for this guy, I think. Um, so if if I may, I think the one thing that I would have to start with here is that it didn't look like the sky got rattled. Well, like, I, if all. we could start, you know, just with like the, the starters, I guess, you know, Seattle. Oh, yeah, because Seattle made, did have a significant lineup change. There. Yeah, they made a change with their starting lineup. They went with Jordan Canada over Katie Lou Samuelson. I, I actually missed the game on... Friday between them, but I guess uh, Katie Lou did not have a very good game, and, and Seattle's been kind of backsliding a little bit. What were your sort of initial thoughts uh, when you had, you know, kind of first first heard about this lineup? You know, this is a lineup that they've gone to 
in games, but but this is the first uh, time that this this group has started together with Canada as sort of the third guard alongside Lloyd and Sue Bird. Yeah, I don't know. I I was kind of surprised by it because I think if you're looking to replace Katie Lou Samuelson in the starting lineup, I would think it'd be Stephanie Talbot who would replace her. Granted, there's a little bit of redundancy there, so it's, it's not like it'd be a, a wholesale change. I, I think, you know, Kalia Copper hurt the storm so badly in that previous game. I think they wanted just another, like another on-ball defender um, to at least slow Copper down. Although, interestingly, uh, it was Canada who really got mixed by Copper on, on a couple late possessions in that game on Friday. But it's either it would either be her defending Copper, trying to stay in front of Copper, or chasing Quigley around all those screens. So it did seem like kind of a reactionary move to me, though. Um, I'm not sure it really gave the Storm any significant advantages, did you? No, I did not. And Canada had, you know, a pretty good statistical game, um, as well as you could expect for Jordan Canada, uh, 17 points on, you know, uh, 11 shooting possessions that that's a great night right if you're just kind of looking at the box score but I thought um, it was very telling in the instances not only when she did not have the ball which you know uh, first it, it just gave Allie Quigley kind of a, a hiding spot right somewhere and that you know Quigley is is a, a target for a lot of defenses and it, it gave Quigley kind of a place to to hang out and you know be a little bit more active as a help defender um but whether it was uh, Quigley off ball or, um, you know, someone, uh, a pair defending a, a Canada-involved pick and roll, like the the level of respect in terms of, you know, just having to make sure that you're really up on Jordan Canada, you know, obviously defenses are going to sag off. And I thought um, outside of making a couple plays and, and scoring decently, uh, particularly in garbage time, you know, I, it, it wasn't really worth the trade-off for me. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, so I'm not like I said. I think it was more of a reactionary move. Uh, obviously, I don't think it's. I don't think this one lineup change is the difference between a win and a 32 point loss. But I don't know. I, I would say I, I'd be interested to see if they go back to it again. But Canada did suffer what appeared to be a pretty, a pretty bad knee injury later in the game, which is, just sucks. Obviously, we hope that Jordan is okay and she heals up quickly. But um, in the meantime, I mean. Is it time to worry about this Storm team or no? Because I feel like a lot of this for this guy was just lightning in a bottle. But they did have make a lot of good things. A lot of good things happen, specifically uh, with their bench and just the overall cohesion of their offense. Yeah, I, I'm not quite ready to you know hit the panic button on the Storm yet. Um, I think if maybe they they just carry on uh, uh, business as usual and and don't get you know, a Jewel Lloyd and, and Brianna Stewart and maybe some of these other players that went over to Tokyo for the Olympics, if they don't get them any any necessary rest, in my opinion, you know, then Seattle might have something to worry about. Um, and Seattle has a pretty favorable schedule coming up the next few games that present a pretty good opportunity to maybe get a Jewel Lloyd who did not have a very impactful game in this one, uh, 10 points on 14 shooting possessions and felt you know, that she, she just didn't really make her, her typical jeweloid impact, in my opinion. Um, so that's kind of what I would be looking for. And, you know, if they don't do that, then I definitely would worry about some fatigue sort of, uh, you know, carrying over to a playoffs, particularly, you know, in a one-game playoff series that they're uh, poised to be in at this point as the, the three seed. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, but for the rest of the game, I mean... 
we got to give credit to my team, okay? You know, I mean, this Candace Parker was obviously incredible. Um, I was really impressed with the way Azari Stevens played. I think this was probably Azari Stevens' best game of the season, even if not statistically. Um, she did, she did play. Let's see, she played 25 minutes as a starter, hit six to seven shots from the field, nine rebounds, and I think on defense she was a lot more consistent than she than she has been. Uh, previously, I think you know she kind of got she she tends to get lost in in communication. Uh, on the weak side, help defense and stuff like that. But um, I think she used her length to great effectiveness in this game. And it, it just didn't seem like Seattle... It just didn't seem... It, it didn't seem like Seattle had the quickness to keep up with either Parker or Stevens. And when you look at a front court like this, that's that's kind of wiry, but is also very skilled, that's the ideal situation for this guy. Yeah, uh, to piggyback off what you were saying, Stevens is great. I think this is like a, a really great matchup for Azura Stevens. You know, Brianna Stewart is not a player that's going to put Stevens, you know, in the goal, like not a power type big that that's really going to uh, get Stevens in a ton of foul trouble, really. And, and Stevens didn't have any fouls, and that can definitely be um, an issue with Azari Stevens at times. Um, and Stevens has great length to, you know, contest a lot of uh, you know, high-releasing jump-shooting forwards, and which, which Brianna Stewart is. I, and I thought Stewart, you know, had a pretty decent game, and particularly moving without the basketball and getting just some open looks underneath with, uh, you know, cutting hard around screens and stuff like that. Um, but yes, Stevens had the, the mid-range game working. She had a, that great um, roll to the basket uh, on a, that diamond to Shields pocket pass, I think it was, or uh, I think to Shields had one, and um, Dana Evans maybe also had one. She got a too. couple really good looks off of, off of nice feeds from the top. Yeah, she played really well off the ball. Yeah, and uh, so so Stevens was good. This was a, a nice pairing. Uh, I think it Stevens Parker makes a little bit more. You know, the Dolson Parker pairing has been great, and Stevens has been starting the last few games. But um, you know, th- this was a matchup that I think made a lot of sense for for this particular game here. And like you were saying, uh, but I, I would extend it not just to the front court to the bigs, but you know, overall, it just felt like. Chicago was the much more athletic team. They had a lot more burst to them. Uh, I thought they played with a lot better pace, particularly, you know, in the first half when they were really getting going. They, they were playing quick, but they were playing under control. Um, and, you know, Candace Parker was a big part of that. Uh, Diamond to Shields had some nice moments. Uh, Kalea Copper, you know, not her, her, her biggest scoring game. And she, um, you know, six for 15, you know, only... Uh, you know, 13 points on, on 15 shooting possessions or whatever, but I still thought she had some really nice moments attacking the basket. Um, you know, they, they just felt like they were in a, a different class athletically in this one than Seattle. Absolutely. I, like I, I was going to say at, at, at the start, um, the sky looked poised, they looked confident, and they didn't get rattled. Uh, you know, throughout this, the, the course of the season, it seems like the sky have been one of those teams that kind of loses their composure easily, particularly in the second half. But even even when Seattle turned up the defensive pressure to try to, to speed the game up a little bit, this guy continued to move the ball around really well and continued to get really quality shots. You could say, like, yeah, 15 for 22 from three isn't going to happen every night. It's not. I mean, I, I agree. But um, the quality of looks that this guy were getting, for the most part, were really, really good. Even if they weren't open threes, they were shots in the paint and at the rim by the players you want taking those shots. And it's interesting. You, see, you, you look at the box score. I mean, Ellie Quigley made one shot. She had five points. This perhaps one of this guy's, perhaps this guy's most important offensive player, as you like to say, uh, made one shot, and the team scored 107 points. So that's, 
I mean, you really can't argue with the results. And, and I think the process w was sound to yield those results. Yeah, like I said, you're not going to shoot the ball that well every single game. But as a fan, as a Sky fan, I'm very encouraged by what I saw. Yeah, and one other thing that I wanted to just touch on um, was just, you know, the aggression of Courtney Vandersloot early on in this game. She, she put yes. up four threes in this game. Um, and, you know, a very typical Courtney Vandersloot night, 13, 13 and 10. Um, but she was five for seven from the floor. And, you know, these were not the, what I would consider kind of typical Courtney Vandersloot threes where she, she is catching it with, you know, two seconds to shoot and, and just kind of has all the time in the world. Or, uh, you know, maybe someone ducks under and there's just so much space for her. Like she was shoot she was firing on the move and not really completely set you know there was yeah, the she one was in, hunting for her own shot her yeah there was there was the one in the corner uh there was there, there were two i think that that really stood out early in this game for vandersloot that you know that is such a, a positive sign for her to be kind of you know a weapon when she doesn't have the ball like in as a as a floor spacer and one more option for a team that has really needed another credible floor spacer from the from the wing this year you know, and that's something that, that stood out to me immediately as well. Those those three three-pointers that she hit early on. That was one of the things I was going to put in my notes is something like, oh, this is a really good uh, like a really good table setter, you know, just in case this game went down to the wire or whatever. That just obviously did not happen. Um, but that's something we've been begging for, right? We've really been wondering, like, where Courtney Vandersloot's offensive aggression has been. It's been inconsistent. She seemed reluctant to shoot a lot of times for whatever reason this season. Um but yeah, the offense was humming, and whenever I mean, she's proved it time and time again. She's one of the most valuable offensive players in the league, relatively speak. Like, she she means a lot to what this guy do on offense, and it's just that much better when she's she's looking for her own shot and being aggressive. Because then you're not just chasing quickly around the screens. You're you're not just taking away Copper's drive. You're not just keeping Parker out of the paint. You got to worry about that other player, and that opens everything up for everybody else. All right, we got to talk about Candace Parker. She was yeah. awesome tonight. This is the game that I think Sky fans and the WNBA fandom at large has been waiting for for Parker. 17 point, I'm sorry, 25 points on 17 shooting possessions, 9 rebounds, uh, 2 blocks. She was just awesome, you know, moving without the basketball. Uh, you know, we saw a couple actions in pick and roll. We saw just, you know, some defensive breakdowns by Seattle where it seemed like three times in a row Candace Parker just got a guard on her and uh, was able to just, you know, mosey on over to the rim and, and get a layup. And, um, you know, the fadeaway was working, whether it was from the elbow or the baseline. I mean, she, she started out really kind of spacing the floor and, and hitting some threes and some jump shots. And then as the, the first half kind of wound down, we saw her really getting to the rim off the ball. And uh, there was that, that nice pick and roll with Parker and Vandersloot as well and I mean this was this was just an awesome performance for Parker who you know put up the the gaudy stat line offensively but I thought was uh, an impact defender as well just cutting things off as she you know was not necessarily worried about uh the scoring prowess of Mercedes Russell definitely definitely and you are right it is a game this guy fans have been waiting for Parker has obviously been extremely effective for this guy there's there's no doubting that but this is she was really in, in, in takeover mode in this game, and it was beautiful to see. One thing that I that I think kind of extended from the previous game against Seattle was that she wasn't afraid to attack closeouts. Um, Mercedes Russell is not going to be able to move her feet to keep up with Candace Parker driving to the rim. Um, Brianna Stewart, if she, I think we saw at least at least twice where 
where she closed out on, on Parker and you know it's it's bye bye you know Parker just go, goes goes right past her it's, it doesn't take her even though she's not as explosive as she once was she's still extremely skilled with the basketball she's very um, she's just very smooth with it you know and um, she wasn't making bad decisions with the ball zero turnovers which you, you love to see it. Um, and then, like you said, moving without the ball. She played with really great pace tonight, you know? It never seemed like she was out of control or forcing things. Usually, you know, for all, for all her greatness um, with the quote-unquote guard skills and, and handling and passing the ball, Parker is good for one or two turnovers a game where you're like, who are you passing it to? Like, why are you trying to make that play? Some passes that are maybe just a little bit too ambitious. A little, amb- yeah, a little, a little ambitious, a little ambitious. Um, I saw none of that. And that, once again, goes back to my my, my main point of being the sky just looked like a well-oiled machine tonight and they weren't rattled at really any point. I mean, they're, they're executing on pretty much every level. And Candace Parker was literally and figuratively the center of that. Uh, so, I mean, this was a bit of a blow. Anything else specific? I have a couple more yeah. things that I want to hit on, but any, anything else that you kind of wanted to get to? Um, yeah, I would remit, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Dana Evans. Uh, f- career high 14 points coming off the bench, running the backup uh, backup point guard behind Courtney Vandersloot. Uh, this was, I-, I think, a really key game for Dana because I don't know, like whenever you've got a rookie coming in, uh, she mentioned this in her post game press conference. Uh, not starting the, the the season with the team, not getting the training camp with the team, that's a tall task for a, a rookie point guard to come in and, and have that you know that burden. Um, but she looked really aggressive tonight. I don't think Dana Evans is a player who's going to be getting to the rim, getting to the lane all the time. But just that she was pulling the trigger on those long three-pointers confidently, you know, I, I think there is... I wasn't... You know, I had the local broadcast. Did, did the Seattle Storm broadcasters really say that Dana Evans isn't known as a three-point shooter? Yeah, not a not a player known for hitting threes, I believe. Okay, I would, I would question what she is known for then. But regardless... Um, it was really nice to see her play confidently and aggressively. Uh, obviously, the 16 minutes were a plus. They're probably not going to need her to play that many minutes. I mean, it's if they do, it's either going to be really good or really bad, right? But um, this can, looked can like... Can I just remark? Uh, yeah. For, for Dana Evans, uh, 10 threes on the year compared to uh, two twos coming into the, tonight. So. Yeah, but not known for shooting... Th- yeah, all right. <laughs> who, need, who needs research, right? Uh, anyway, um, I think she had a couple turnovers where like her just her lack of size is kind of a problem. Uh, like Passes get deflected, obviously, and she's still got to learn to to handle ball pressure and what have you but having this in this guy's back pocket is if she can you know sustain this level of play i'm not going to overreact over one game but it's encouraging to see you know because having another player who's willing to come in and just get some shots up is is good stuff yeah she she had that pick six she got to the line you know she she hit that deep three I, I mean really you know she was she was perfectly serviceable in the second half but i think the first half you know because it was still a game that seattle probably felt that you know they were they were competitive in. that's kind of where you know for me i would be most encouraged is that she had you know five minutes of really solid play when seattle was you know this is one of the contenders right one, one of the best teams in the league and, and dana evans definitely showed that she belonged and you know this isn't just kind of a a normal team with a normal backup point guard having having a normal good game this is a team that for uh for years has has just struggled to find some productivity uh in that spot when courtney vandersloot is off the court so um you know this year they've, they've been able to kind of manage offensively when sloot has has sat in evans this was uh you know probably the the most encouraging single game that i've seen from her um definitely, definitely. yeah and so you know she was able to do it inside outside and 
uh, you know, not some not going to blow you away defensively, but if you can you can make a couple plays, then hey, that that's really all you need. Well, regarding her, uh, her, her like this this mix of running the offense and shooting, she was definitely a shoot first a shoot first guard in college. She was she had the ability you know hit shots around here, hit these crazy deep three point shots and stuff like that. And that's going to be an adjustment for her. I, I wouldn't expect this to just suddenly be a, a, a page turner. She's still got a lot to learn as far as when to look for her shot and when to set up her teammates. But again, just going back to the confidence thing, just knowing when to pull from from three point range. And as you said, I mean, it's not just looking at the fourteen points in the box score. It's the it's when those points came. It's it's when she made those plays within the floor of the basketball game. And this game was this game was essentially over at halftime. You know, so that's um, I mean, I don't want to sound like arrogant or anything, but but in, in terms of like the flow of the game, um, when she made those plays, it was still a basketball game. So that that's a good point, Stephen. I mean, anything else we should hit on? You know, I feel like uh, we we gave it's, them. It's the tough first... when you have one team that wins by so much. Um, I guess shout out to Diamond to Shields. She played a a steady basketball game. Sixteen points, uh, five of ten from the field, three of four from three point range. Still some questionable shots. Still some questionable shot selection. But yeah, in, in the first half specifically, you know, she yeah. she made a couple. Uh, she she made two good plays that I think sandwiched a, a couple rough ones. Um, but you know, as the the garbage time uh, increased in in the second quarter, I think she found something a little bit more that hopefully you can kind of carry over to when the minutes are are a little bit more um, you know important, I guess. Yeah, when the minutes are more important for sure. I I don't know. I I think the Shields coming off the bench right now. I, I think that's the right move, whether it be just to get her confidence up or to get Ellie Quigley playing with the starters more often. I think both are are, are equally important there. I, I don't really know what else to say about this Sky performance when basically everything, well, like one minor criticism, I think, uh, like in a lot of situations, I think the weak side help defense was, was still kind of poor. Seattle got at least three, maybe four wide open layups of baseline out of bounds plays, which I think was, uh, that was a little irritating, but I mean, you win by 30 something points that you can't be that critical. So yeah, I'm a happy Sky fan right no, now. No, that, that's a great point, and I think Stewart in particular, like the the majority of the field goals that I remember her making were just They're right under the rim. Yeah. yeah, right under the rim with the the defense kind of trailing her. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> minor things maybe to work on, but this is a great defense, and it was a great defensive performance. Is there anything else about for like Seattle that we need to mention here? Because I mean, I don't know. There, there's not a lot that really stands out. Like you, you like you said, Lloyd struggled individually. There are some decent individual lines like Stewart and Bird, but yeah, they just I, look I guess lethargic. like you know the the big picture thing for me is that I I still you know this Mercedes Russell has had a great season, Jordan Canada has had in in some ways uh, an encouraging season, but there are still too many lineups for me where I just you know they they have these three great players, they have a couple complementary pieces that that fit those players well, but there are a lot of lineup combinations that I think this team can can kind of struggle to score against against the best defenses so uh i mean maybe maybe they just have enough top end talent to make it work but the the depth for me is definitely something to be concerned about well and let's let's go back to our season preview if you can remember um i think we both had the aces as the clear favorites i I know i'm pretty sure i did um so it's not like like seattle can drop a couple games in the regular season under whatever circumstances, for whatever reason, and still, you know, not be totally disappointing, you know? So I, I don't want to make it seem like this is panic-worthy or anything like that, but we got to remember, they lost two 
premier players in the offseason and didn't really replace them with players of that caliber. And they're their leading bench player as well. Yeah, that's that's very true. They're leading yeah, and Sammy Woodcomb. And um their head coach, you know, Dan Hughes. So you like you like you can this this team is clearly weaker than it was last year, and that's not like that's not a disappointment. Like I'm pretty sure we we expected that to happen. So um I still fully expect like this this one game is not gonna change. Is I fully expect them to be in championship contention. But you know, are they are they ripe for a first round or would it, would it be second round uh playoff upset like a single game elimination upset maybe i mean I, I, that's it's possible right oh yeah i mean it, it's certainly i mean you don't expect your opponents to to hit two-thirds of their threes every game uh, nah, but nah. i mean that can happen in in one game and you know i think that's the um the bummer about the current playoff format i think the playoff format is is definitely you know an improvement from what we used to have in a lot of ways and i think that's reflected in how few times we've actually seen an east-west matchup you know we're just getting the two best teams now a east-west matchup in the finals i should say uh you know it has has not really happened too often uh seattle washington i think is the only time since since we switched over that we've had both conferences represented but nevertheless like you know all i'm saying is that uh the, the, the second round in particular is what, what I would like to see change. You know, I'm fine with the single elimination in the first round. You know, those teams are kind of barely getting in. A lot of them are under 500. The, the two games, uh, I mean, the two rounds after the second round being five-game series is great. I mean, I would love seven-game series, but uh, understand that these players have uh, more financially important commitments to, to oversee and to make it to. But would love, you know, these these uh, teams that are, are making the third and fourth seed kind of clearly separating themselves as, as some of the better teams to not have their season uh, on the line with, you know, a single elimination. So how do you fix that then? Like what, what kind of, what kind of changes would you suggest? Like shorten the regular season? I mean, if, if removing two games from the regular season is what you need to make that a three game series, that's a trade-off I would be okay with. I mean, hope, I think we're all hoping for a, a place where the regular season can maybe be, the only, or the the WNBA, I should say, is the only basketball that these players have to play year-round, uh, you know, financially, and then maybe you can even make the, the season a little bit longer, you know, maybe get to, like, 40 games in, in a lengthier playoffs or something like that, but um, we're obviously a ways away from that, but, you know, with even a three-game series in the second round, so, um, you know, a Seattle or a Minnesota who have had such accomplished regular seasons are not one game and out, um, plus, you know, these teams that they're going up against, the five and six seeds potentially are really good basketball teams too. So I'm just, you know, always in favor of better and more good basketball. That is a good point. And just, I think it'd just be good for the league too, you know, um, having an extended playoff series between two good teams versus a couple end of the season regular games that like no one's probably going to remember, right? I I do think um, just presenting the other side of the argument here, like, like when teams complain when, when, when fans or players of, of third or fourth seeds complain about single elimination, I mean, they're already at the advantage of having home court and having that extra day or two of rest. But I can see, I, I can see the complaint. I, I, I can see why earning, you know, you know, getting the third and fourth seed might, you might think you earned a little bit more than that. So we'll see what happens. I, I think that's something that is actually going to be looked at in the future, like future CBAs. Um, so, but yeah, up until now, or, or I mean, for now, rather, uh, looks like Seattle might have to settle for that third seed, right? It, it's looking more and more like it. I mean, I, I still, 
you know, like I mean, they had they've won all they've lost all three games to Chicago this year. So I was gonna yeah. say I like their chances to advance in a one game playoff, but maybe not if it's Chicago. Remember, remember our, our second half preview from a couple weeks ago. I, I, I was like, oh man, if we can just split against Seattle and Vegas, I'd be happy. Well, I'm I'm pretty happy right now. All right. Well, I think uh, <laughs> that's a great place to wrap up. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we are uh, using a new recording software, so hopefully the everything turns out okay, but let us know if it doesn't. Um, you can reach us uh, on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA, at Nemchuk E for Eric's personal account, at Trinkwald for myself. Uh, if you want to support the show, please subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and thank you, and we'll speak to you when we speak to you. Take care, everybody.